You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We hope all our listeners were able to take time off over the past weeks and are well rested and ready for 2024. In this week's episode, which we're recording on the 11th of January, we're going to talk about the official end of Christmas this weekend. We'll look back at the snow-fueled chaos on the E22 motorway that dominated headlines in the first days of the new year. We'll chat about whether Sweden's king might consider abdicating after Denmark's queen announced that she was bowing out. And finally, we'll discuss why politicians and military leaders are warning of the prospect of war in Sweden. To help us understand what's going on, we'll hear later from a senior analyst at the Swedish Defence University. I'm your host, Richard Orange, here in Malmo, with our regular panellists, Emma Lufgren and Becky Waterton. Your usual host, Paul Amani, is tucked up in bed fighting off a nasty bout of winter flu. So, good for chattening, or good continuance, or continuing, as they say in these parts. Can I say that? How was Christmas? Mine was good. I was in the UK. Did not get stuck due to the storms, which was nice. How about you? Um, yeah, mine was fine too. Feels like it was so long ago that I don't really remember. This episode goes out on Saturday the 13th of January, which coincides with Sugandog Knut, the last day of Christmas in Sweden. Can you tell us about this tradition, Emma, and where does it come from and what happens this weekend? Uh, so Knut was a Danish prince who was murdered in the 12th century and then made a saint. So that's why we observe the end of Christmas. I don't really know why, but his name day is celebrated on January the 13th, which is 20 days after Christmas Eve. And the saying is, På 20 Knut kastas jubilen ut. On 20th day Knut, Christmas is thrown out. Christmas in Sweden actually used to end at around Epiphany, just like in many other countries, which also happens to be roughly when Knut died. But at the end of the 17th century, it was um, decided by someone that Christmas festivities would be extended by a week for church reasons that I don't really understand. And the name Knut also moved with that. So it used to be the case that on Sjögunda Knut, the family would sort of dance around the Christmas tree one last time before taking it down. And they would eat any remaining edible decorations, which was a big treat for the children especially. This tradition started in the 19th century among like the middle class bourgeoisie in Sweden. And then it spread to pretty much everyone and had its sort of heyday after the Second World War and has mostly died out by now, hasn't it? Like, it still feels to me like the official last day of Christmas. But I feel like these days we mainly just, you know, take our Christmas decorations down and get on with our lives. I think for me, it's basically died out, but we're going to eat our gingerbread houses. 
that's like the only edible decoration we have. <laughs> Mainly because I'm sick of them just sitting around all over the apartment. But I do love the word Yulegrand's plundering. Plundering of the Christmas tree. I mean, our, our Christmas, the Christmas tree had tree. dumped all of its pine needles all over the floor and there's no way it could have survived another week. <laughs> so, so. We, we once kept our Christmas tree up until the middle of February because it just survived forever. Now, let's get on to the news and a story from our part of Sweden that made international headlines when up to a thousand cars were left stranded for hours on the E22 motorway in Skåne. Can you tell us about what happened, Becky? Uh, Yeah, so to set the scene, there was a full-on blizzard happening on this motorway. Uh, On the morning of January 3rd, a few lorries started to kind of ground to a halt in the snow. Then the cars following them ground to a halt. Then the blizzard continued and it ended up snowing them in. Essentially, the snow was falling so fast that the snowplows couldn't keep up. And they ended up having to get the home guard in with armoured vehicles to help pull the cars out, as well as slicing the barrier in the central reservation so people could drive through onto the other side of the road. Somewhat miraculously, it doesn't look like anyone was hurt, just tired and cold. Yeah, I I spoke to uh, Nicholas Nordstrom, a truck driver who was stuck for 20 hours And he had said that a couple from the Netherlands had helped him out with coffee and a sandwich. And then a local farmer had bulldozed like a channel in the snow so that he and the Dutch couple had escaped through it and then drove down the motorway on the wrong side of the road with their warning lights flashing and then getting to a place where they could drive. Did you hear any other heartwarming stories of people helping one another out, Becky? Uh, I saw an article on Sydsvenskan, which is kind of the local newspaper for the south of Sweden as you might guess in the name, about a diabetic woman who was given an energy drink by someone else in the traffic jam, which was quite nice. Uh, It must have been quite scary for her to be stuck in her car without medication or food for 20 hours. There's also a service station, which was in the middle of all the action, Ekerödsrasten, where the owner, Andreas, stayed up for 27 hours straight, serving food and drinks to stranded travellers and giving them somewhere to keep warm, with brief breaks to shovel snow. According to Sudsvenskan, again, his daughter was sleeping in his office at one point. And I think this is kind of a great example of something we've spoken about before. You know, Swedes maybe don't have a reputation for offering to help. They kind of don't want to invade your personal space or something. But when there is a crisis and when people genuinely do need help, they all kind of muck in, have no issues pulling all-nighters to make sure everyone's fed and warm. That actually does give me hope if there is like a war or something in Sweden. I reckon Swedes would be quite good at coming together and making sure everyone's okay. It's nice to hear you say that, actually, because there's been a lot of complaints about the authorities for not managing to kind of clear this traffic jam Mm. sooner and getting people out of their cars. Even like the guy that Richard spoke to, it was a local farmer who was like, yeah, of course, I'll come and help you escape from this. Like, even though the authorities maybe weren't super prepared, I feel like people... Swedes were were quite good at also this Dutch couple you know not just Swedes but people living in Sweden are quite good at sorting out a problem I find that like when things go wrong in our summer house um, the neighbours will give will will be that like the the local farmer was was he was there at midnight underneath his tractor trying to fix something so he could finish what he was doing with us you know he stayed the whole so I think I think you're right when it's necessary people really help each other out and they, people like helping each other out when those people need help but they don't like interfering when they people might not need help I guess this is the, this is the advantage of total defense which we're going to get onto a bit later is that like even if the authorities can't help or aren't prepared you've got this kind of defense mechanism of everyone else who can kind of pull up the slack in a way Mm, let's hope so. And uh, so, is the road clear? All clear again now? At the time we're recording this, it is clear, but part of it's at reduced speed as the barriers between the northbound and southbound lanes haven't been repaired yet. Although I would be surprised if they'd fixed all of those holes by Saturday. It's apparently over a hundred places, and they have to like make new 
cement foundations and stuff, concrete foundations. So I think it's going to take a while to fix. Again, when we were recording this, there's also some areas where the road's still icy, uh, as the Transport Administration apparently doesn't have the right machines to get rid of this kind of crust of impacted snow and ice, which is still on the tarmac. So it's open, but not like full speed. Denmark's Queen, Margrethe II, is stepping down on Sunday after 52 years as monarch in a hugely surprising move, which led to some speculation about whether Sweden's king, Carl XVI Gustav, might consider a similar course of action. What's the likelihood of the king stepping aside to let his daughter, Crown Princess Victoria, take over? So as soon as Margrethe steps down, the, the king of Sweden, who is her cousin, also coincidentally, will become the world's longest still reigning monarch with 51 years on the throne. He has said that he plans to stick it out until the bitter end. But then again, that's what Margrethe used to say. So I wouldn't take that as a kind of firm promise. There are a few reasons why it might actually be easier for the king to abdicate than it was for Margrethe. One thing is that She's already done it now. So she's broken with tradition and set a kind of new precedent. So that removes one hurdle for him. And secondly, while Margrethe is overwhelmingly popular in Denmark, the Swedish king's daughter, Crown Princess Victoria, who would take over after him, is, is by far more popular than he is. He's definitely not been immune to scandals over the years. But these days, he's, he's reasonably well respected, I would say. Like, he's been king for five decades, so, you know, good on him. And he's kind of liked now the way you the way you like your weird uncle because, you know, his family and you've known him for so long. But Victoria, on the other hand, she's adored. But again, he has said that he's had no plans to abdicate. And you should also remember that Margrethe and, and also King Harald of Norway, they're both a few years older than the Swedish king and have had health issues. Whereas the king, who's 77 years old, he's quite sporty and active still and seems to be in decent shape. He had planned heart surgery last year, but he was back to work after just a couple of weeks. Who knows how he's going to feel about it in the future, but I definitely don't think he's going to step down anytime soon. In fact, I think he's at least going to make it another two years so that he beats Margrethe's record. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Let's now move on to the big talking point of the week, namely comments made at the Sale and Defence Conference by politicians and military leaders to the effect that people living in Sweden should prepare for the possibility of war. Becky, can you run us through what was said and how it was received? 
Yeah, so there were, there were kind of three different speeches that made headlines. We can start with the first two. One of them was by civil defence minister Carl Oskar Bullin, who basically said that war could happen in Sweden and we shouldn't assume otherwise just because the country's been at peace for the last 200 years. So he didn't kind of appear to suggest that an armed conflict was like a guarantee or that it was imminent, but rather that the theoretical possibility of war exists. And then he kind of urged everyone in the country to help build Sweden's total defence. Then there was also a speech by Mikael Budén, who has the fantastic title of Supreme Commander of the Swedish Armed Forces, who basically echoed Bullion's statements while showing the audience pictures of war-torn areas of Ukraine and essentially saying this could happen in Sweden. He urged everyone in the country, individuals, companies, organisations, to be less passive, saying we should be mentally prepared for war. And I can't remember if it was Budin or Bolin, but one of them was basically saying that like it keeps them up at night wor- worrying about the fact that Sweden's not prepared enough for war really got this impression that they were like, guys, no, seriously, come on, we need to start preparing. Like, And finally, there was a speech by Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson where he appeared to suggest that immigrants who've been granted Swedish citizenship are less willing to defend the country if it's attacked than kind of people that are born as Swedish citizens, as well as saying that if you aren't willing to put your life on the line for Sweden, then you shouldn't be a citizen, which uh, obviously was a bit controversial. Although, to be fair, I think the government has kind of try to defend those comments and say that that's not what they were insinuating, but um, rather just trying to sort of stress how serious it is to be a citizen. Yeah, he was a bit like, a Swedish passport isn't just a travel document. You know, with it comes kind of the responsibility of being willing to put your life on the line for Sweden. I don't know, because they asked him directly, do you think there's a difference in the willing to defend between immigrants and um, and ordinary Swedes? And he could have said no. He could have just said no, no, exactly, and he didn't, so... We'll talk more in a few minutes about what the country expects of us in a crisis, but first, let's listen to a chat Paul had this week with Frederick Force, who's a senior analyst at the Swedish Defence University specialised in Sweden's strategy of total defence, a doctrine according to which the entire adult population is responsible for defending the country in the event of an attack. Paul started off by asking him how worried people should be in the light of the rhetoric we've been hearing in recent days. I think that we should be prepared we should be worried and we should also remember that we have a total defense we have armed forces and we are also citizens in sweden and have a responsibility and this all boils down to preparedness for in the case of armed forces for war we have armed forces in order to prepare and therefore deter a possible enemy from attacking Sweden. So this is the background. And we have, I think, for decades uh, allowed ourselves to think of other more pleasurable things than war and forgotten why we have to prepare for and plan for and exercise for war. Okay, so this is linked to a sort of neglect in recent decades of the kind of preparedness that Sweden had during the Cold War. Yeah, in general, I think so. And more specifically, of course, this is linked to Russia's new invasion of Ukraine from February 2022. That changed Sweden's attitude towards NATO, uh, attitude towards adding spending for armed forces and speaking more bluntly about the risk of war. 
So on that sort of blunt language, we've seen reports this week of children and others who say they can't sleep and they're scared of the prospect of war now. And I read a report, for example, where a Finnish journalist suggested the Swedes were being hysterical. Do you think the language being used by politicians and the head of the military goes too far? No, I don't. Uh, I think this is reasonable, given the background. Uh, given that Russia is threatening, of course, and waging war in Ukraine, uh, but also have threatened the Baltic states, threatened Finland, and threatened Sweden. This is for real now, and I think the message that the ministers and the Supreme Commander would like to get through is that it's yeah, it's real now. Mm. If we turn to sort of more general crisis preparedness, what are the main things that people living in Sweden need to think about, whether it's in wartime or some other form of crisis? Yeah, the prime minister spoke about försvarsvilja in Swedish, will to defend. I think that is a primary issue. He spoke about Ukraine, of course, and so did uh, the Supreme Commander and uh, the Minister of Civil Defense as well. So will to defend is where we start. as one living in Sweden or uh, one being part of the armed forces and so forth. Without will to defend, nothing much matters. But you can, of course, take a few practical steps as well. You can and should prepare yourself for uh, sustaining for a week without water, without electricity, without heating, without food. You should look over your own preparations. Uh, You should turn a bit more into a prepper, if you like, because this will get you a better situation in times of crisis, in times of war. And it will also mean that if you, uh, you are reasonably capable yourself, uh, you can take care of yourself and your loved ones, then the rest of the society can focus on taking care of the ones which are not that capable. For example, our elders, people at hospitals and so forth, which to extreme cases need support in in times of crisis or times of war. So if you're living in Sweden, being capable, if you are not taking this responsibility, then of course the rest of the society needs to focus on helping you as well. You've presumably been watching this conference in the last few days quite closely. Is there anything outside of these headline-making comments that has grabbed your attention? Just a general reflection. You know, the Supreme Commander has been speaking about this for quite a while. People in the armed forces, people in the rest of the total defense has been speaking about this for quite a while, that we're actually living in a more dangerous time now than a couple of years ago. And now it makes headlines, um, you know, after Almedalen last summer or summer before that. Yeah, we saw some headlines, but then we tend to move back and fall back into not being that alarmed again which maybe is one of the reasons why they speak in the way they do. That was Fredrik Forsch, senior analyst at the Swedish Defence University. 
He spoke there a little bit about Sweden's total defence policy, but can you tell us a bit more about what people living in Sweden would be expected to do if the country were ever to be invaded? So the total defence policy means, as we spoke about, that that everyone in Sweden is expected to help defend the country, not just the armed forces. There are several layers to this. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone should suddenly take up arms and the sort of civil defence arm of this, it's also seen as a crucial part. And on a very basic level, it starts with what Fredrik Forsmans mentioned, like to be able to take care of and sustain yourself for a period of time, because that that helps the country's defence too. And it could also include things like the authorities ordering you to, you know, keep your job and go to work as normal, because you might be doing things that are useful to keeping the country running. If you, for example, have healthcare training, but you're currently working in another profession, you might get called up to be a medical worker, or if you have any other skills that might be relevant to the defence. In fact, if, if you do work in a key profession like that, then you may already have been given orders for where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do if war breaks out. And this clause happens to be activated. Because the idea be- behind total defence, it's also that you get yourselves organised in peacetime so that everyone knows what to do if things change. It's a bit just a bit like writing a prenup before getting married. And then, which is something that, that only applies to Swedish citizens, you should, um, or you could be called up to serve in the army. There is actually a clause for conscientious objectors in the law on the total defence, which I just read this morning. So if you don't want to carry a gun, for example, you don't have to. If you're a dual citizen and Sweden is at war with your other country, you're also not expected to take up arms against them. Although I mentioned that carrying guns and so on is for Swedish citizens, then in general, total defence applies to everyone in the country who's between 16 and 70 years old, even if you're just living here and you're not a citizen. So everyone living here is seen as having an interest in keeping Sweden safe and that this is a matter for the entire population, regardless of nationality. If things are really pushed to the extreme, I'm not sure that we can assume that the laws that we have today are guaranteed to always remain the same. But but this is where we're at today anyway. And how did you react to the comments made by the Prime Minister relating to citizenship that you mentioned earlier, Becky? Um, I think it's odd that he singled out immigrants specifically. Like, I'm sure there's lots of people who've had citizenship since birth who'd be reluctant to put their lives on the line for Sweden. But, I mean, it's also a moot point anyway. As Emma said, everyone living in Sweden is expected to defend the country in the event of an attack anyway, whether you've been living here a few days or for your entire life. So it doesn't really make a difference whether you're a citizen or not in the eyes of the law. I guess you should be aware that you, you could be called up to fight, but like you can be a conscientious objector if you're not willing to put your life on the line or if you object to it. So I don't know. I think it's that's kind of a moot point. Also, like when we asked our readers back in 2022 how they felt about the security situation in Sweden, as many as three quarters said they'd be willing to defend Sweden in the event of armed conflict. And not all of those people had Swedish citizenship. If it's so important to be willing to put your life on the line for Sweden, why is there no like fast track option for citizenship for immigrants willing to do military service? Like in France, you can get citizenship by serving in the Foreign Legion for three years. Maybe Christensen should consider setting up a similar policy in Sweden. I'm sure he'd be surprised by how many people would be willing to join. For me, it was the thing about being willing to sacrifice your life for the nation. That's quite 19th century. It's quite, it's quite pre 
World War Two, pre World War One, is like you know the glorious dying for your mm. nation. You know, it's not that the idea of, of fighting in a war is is not to to die. The idea is for an armed forces is not for your soldiers not to die. You know, you should try and protect them. You know, it's yes, helping defend the country, but 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 it shouldn't be you know sacrificing your life. I mean, yes, you might die. Yes, you're at risk, but you're not like saying come kill me. You're not like a kind of Wagner style cannon fodder being fed into the meat grinder. You know, it's like. <laughs> It's like, a, I know, that's that's kind of how I yeah, felt I mean, about like, the rhetoric. I, I felt it was a bit off. I don't know if I would be willing to die for the UK and I have British citizenship. Like, yeah, I'd, you know, if I was there, I'd probably like try and protect it. But I don't know if they were like Becky's son, you know, be a human shield. I'd maybe be like, nah, I don't want to do that. Like, Yeah, exactly. But, I, but there's also then sort of, if, you, if it comes to a point where you have to, you know, either sacrifice your life, quote unquote, or, I don't know, compromise on your values or mm. integrity or democracy or things like that, then what would you choose? That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Sweden in Focus in your preferred podcast app if you want it delivered every week. And please leave a review if you can. Our panellists this week were Emma Lofgren and Becky Waterton. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Richard Orange and Paul will hopefully be back firing on all cylinders next week. Until then, take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.